Chapters six and seven of Cousin Maud by Mary Jane Holmes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Six. The Mother. From the tall trees which shade the desolate old house, the leaves have fallen one by one, and the November rain makes mournful music as in the stillness of the night it drops upon the withered foliage softly, slowly, as if weeping for the sorrow which has come upon the household. Matty Kennedy is dead and in the husband's heart there is a gnawing pain such as he never felt before not even when katie died for katie though pure and good was not so wholly unselfish as matty had been and in thinking of her he could occasionally recall an impatient word but from matty none gentle loving and beautiful she had been to him in life and now beautiful in death she lay in the silent parlour on the marble table she had brought from home while he oh who shall tell what thoughts were busy at his heart as he sat there alone that dismal rainy night in one respect his wishes had been gratified matty had not turned from him in death she had died within his arms but so long as the light of reason shone in her blue eyes so long had they rested on the rose-bush within the window the rose-bush brought from harry's grave nestled among its leaves was a half-opened bud and when no one could hear she whispered softly to janet place it in my bosom just as you placed one years ago when i was harry's bride to nelly and to maud she had spoken blessed words of comfort commending to the latter as to a second mother the little louis who trembling with fear had hidden beneath the bedclothes so that he could not see the white look upon her face then to her husband she had turned pleading with all a mother's tenderness for her youngest born her unfortunate one oh husband she said you will care for him when i am gone you will love my poor crippled boy promise me this and death will not be hard to meet promise me won't you and the voice was very very faint he could not refuse and bending low he said matty i will i will bless you my husband bless you for that was matty's dying words for she never spoke again it was morning then early morning and a long dreary day had intervened until at last it was midnight and a silence reigned throughout the house maud nelly janet and john had wept themselves sick while in little louis's bosom there was a sense of desolation which kept him wakeful even after maud had cried herself to sleep many a time that day had he stolen into the parlour and climbing into a chair as best he could had laid his baby cheek against the cold white face and smoothing with his dimpled hand the shining hair had whispered poor sick mother won't you speak to louis any more he knew better than most children of his age what was meant by death and as he lay awake thinking how dreadful it was to have no mother his thoughts turned toward his father who had that day been too much absorbed in his own grief to notice him maybe he'll love me some now ma is dead he thought and with that yearning for paternal sympathy natural to the motherless he crept out of bed and groping his way with his noiseless crutches to his father's door he knocked softly for admittance who's there demanded dr kennedy every nerve thrilling to the answer it's me father won't you let me in for it's dark out here and lonesome with her lying in the parlour oh father won't you love me a little now mother's dead i can't help it because i'm lame and when i'm a man i will earn my own living i won't be in the way say pa will you love me he remembered the charges his father had preferred against him and the father remembered them too 
she to whom the cruel words were spoken was gone from him now and her child their child was at the door pleading for his love could he refuse no by every kindly feeling by every parental tie we answer no he could not and opening the door he took the little fellow in his arms hugging him to his bosom while tears the first he had shed for many a year fell like rain upon the face of his crippled boy like some mighty water which breaking through its prison walls seeks again its natural channel so did his love go out toward the child so long neglected the child who was not now to him a cripple he did not think of the deformity he did not even see it he saw only the beautiful face the soft brown eyes and silken hair of the little one who ere long fell asleep murmuring in his dreams he loves me ma he does surely the father cannot be blamed if when he looked again upon the calm face of the dead he fancied that it wore a happier look as if the whispered words of louis had reached her unconscious ear very beautiful looked matty in her coffin for thirty years had but slightly marred her youthful face and the doctor as he gazed upon her thought within himself she was almost as fair as maud glendower then as his eye fell upon the rosebud which janet had laid upon her bosom he said twas kind in mrs blodgett to place it there for matty was fond of flowers but he did not dream how closely was that rosebud connected with a grave made many years before thoughts of maud glendower and mementos of harry remington meeting together at matty's coffin alas that such should be our life underneath the willows and by the side of katie was matty laid to rest and then the desolate old house seemed doubly desolate maud mourning truly for her mother while the impulsive nelly too wept bitterly for one whom she had really loved to the doctor however a new feeling had been born and in the society of his son he found a balm for his sorrow becoming ere long to all outward appearance the same exacting overbearing man he had been before the blows are hard and oft repeated which break the solid rock and there will come a time when that selfish nature shall be subdued and broken down but tis not yet not yet and now leaving him awhile to himself we will pass on to a period when maud herself shall become in reality the heroine of our story seven past and present four years and a half have passed away since the dark november night when matty kennedy died and in her home all things are not as they were then janet the presiding genius of the household is gone married a second time and by this means escaped as she verily believes the embarrassment of refusing outright to be mrs dr kennedy number three not that dr kennedy ever entertained the slightest idea of making her his wife but knowing how highly he valued money and being herself a woman of property janet came at last to fancy that he had serious thoughts of offering himself to her he on the contrary was only intent upon the best means of removing her from his house for though he was not insensible to the comfort which her presence brought it was a comfort for which he paid too dearly still he endured it for nearly three years but at the end of that time he determined that she should go away and as he dreaded a scene he did not tell her plainly what he meant but hinted and with each hint the widow groaned afresh over her lamented joel at last emboldened by some fresh extravagance he said to her one day mrs blodgett uh, <clears throat> here he stopped while mrs blodgett thinking her time had come drew out joel's picture which latterly she carried in her pocket so as to be ready for any emergency mrs blodgett are you paying attention asked the doctor observing how intently she was regarding the picture of the deceased yes yes 
she answered and he continued mrs blodgett i hardly know what to say but i've been thinking for some time past i know you've been thinking interrupted the widow but it won't do an atom of good for my mind was made up long ago and i shan't do it and if you've any kind of feeling for matty which you ain't nor never had you wouldn't think of such a thing and i know as well as i want to know that it's my property and nothing else which has put such an idea into your head here overcome with her burst of indignation she began to cry while the doctor wholly misunderstanding her attempted to smooth the matter somewhat by saying i had no intention of distressing you mrs blodgett but i thought i might as well free my mind were you a poor woman i should feel differently but knowing you have money wretch fairly screamed the insulted janet so you confess my property is at the bottom of it but i'll fix it i'll put an end to it and in a state of great excitement she rushed from the room just across the way a newly-fledged lawyer had hung up his sign and thither that very afternoon the wrathful widow wended her way nor left the dingy office until one half of her property which was far greater than any one supposed it to be was transferred by deed of gift to maud remington who was to come in possession of it on her eighteenth birthday and was to inherit the remainder by will at the death of the donor that fixes him she muttered as she returned to the house that fixes old maxim good to think of his insultin me by ownin right up that twas my property he was after the rascal i wouldn't have him if there weren't another man in the world and entering the room where maud was sewing she astonished the young girl by telling her what she had done i have made you my heir said she tossing the deed of gift and the will into maud's lap i've made you my heir and the day you're eighteen you'll be worth five thousand dollars besides having the interest to use between this time and that then if ever i die you'll have five thousand more joel blodgett didn't keep thirty cows and pedal milk for nothing maud was at first too much astonished to comprehend the meaning of what she heard but she understood it at last and then with many tears thanked the eccentric woman for what she had done and asked the reason for this unexpected generosity cause i like you answered janet determined not to injure maud's feelings by letting her know how soon her mother had been forgotten cause i like you and always meant to give it to you but don't tell any one how much tis for if the old fool widowers round here know i'm still worth five thousand dollars they'll like enough be botherin me with offers hopin i'll change my will but i shan't i'll teach em a trick or two the good-for-nothin old maxim the latter part of this speech was made as janet was leaving the room consequently maud did not hear it neither would she have understood it if she had she knew her nurse was very peculiar but she never dreamed it possible for her to fancy that dr kennedy wished to make her his wife and she was greatly puzzled to know why she had been so generous to her but janet knew and when a few days afterward dr kennedy determining upon a fresh attempt to remove her from his house came to her side as she was sitting alone in the twilight she felt glad that one half her property at least was beyond her control <clears throat> mrs blodgett he said clearing his throat and looking considerably embarrassed mrs blodgett well what do you want of mrs blodgett was the widow's testy answer and the doctor replied i did not finish what i wished to say to you the other day and it's a maxim of mine if a person has anything on his mind he had better tell it at once certainly ease yourself off do 
and janet's little grey eyes twinkled with delight as she thought how crestfallen he would look when she told him her property was gone i was going mrs blodgett he continued i was going to propose to you he never finished the sentence for the widow sprang to her feet exclaiming it's of no kind of use i've gin my property all to maud half of it the day she's eighteen and the rest on its will to her when i die so you may as well let me alone and feeling greatly flurried with what she verily believed to have been an offer she walked away leaving the doctor to think her the most inexplicable woman he ever saw the next day janet received an invitation to visit her husband's sister who lived in canada the invitation was accepted and to his great delight the doctor saw her drive from his door just one week after his last amusing interview in canada janet formed the acquaintance of a man full ten years her junior he had been a distant relative of her husband and knowing of her property asked her to be his wife for several days janet studied her face to see what was in it which made every man in christendom want her and concluding at last that handsome is that handsome does said yes and made peter hopkins the happiest of men there was a bridal trip to laurel hill where the new husband ascertained that the half of that for which he had married was beyond his reach but being naturally of a hopeful nature he did not despair of eventually changing the will so he swallowed his disappointment and redoubled his attentions to his mother-wife now mrs janet blodgett hopkins meantime the story that maud was an heiress circulated rapidly and as the lawyer kept his own counsel and maud in accordance with janet's request never told how much had been given her the amount was doubled nay in some cases trebled and she suddenly found herself a person of considerable importance particularly in the estimation of dr kennedy who aside from setting a high value upon money fancied he saw a way by which he himself could reap some benefit from his stepdaughter's fortune if maud had money she certainly ought to pay for her board and so he said to her one day prefacing his remarks with his stereotyped phrase that twas a maxim of his that one person should not live upon another if they could help it since janet's last marriage maud had taken the entire management of affairs and without her there would have been little comfort or order in a household whose only servant was old and lazy and whose eldest daughter was far too proud to work this maud knew and with a flush of indignation upon her cheek she replied to her stepfather very well sir i can pay for my board if you like but boarders you know never trouble themselves with the affairs of the kitchen the doctor was confounded he knew he could not well dispense with maud's services and it had not before occurred to him that a housekeeper and boarder were two different persons ah yes just so said he i see i am labouring under a mistake you prefer working for your board all right and feeling a good deal more disconcerted than he ever supposed it possible for him to feel he gave up the contest maud was at this time nearly sixteen years of age and during the next year she was to all intents and purposes the housekeeper discharging faithfully every duty and still finding time to pursue her own studies and superintend the education of little louis to whom she was indeed a second mother she was very fond of books and while janet was with them she had with nelly attended the seminary at laurel hill where she stood high in all her classes for learning was with her a delight and when at last it seemed necessary for her to remain at home she still devoted a portion of each day to her studies reciting to a teacher who came regularly to the house and whom she paid with her own money by this means she was at the age of seventeen a far better scholar than nelly who left every care to her stepsister saying she was just suited to the kitchen work and the tiresome old books with which she kept her chamber littered 
this chamber to which nelly referred was maud's particular province here she reigned joint sovereign with louis who thus early evinced a degree of intellectuality wonderful in one so young and who in some things excelled even maud herself drawing and painting seemed to be his ruling taste and as dr kennedy still cherished for his crippled boy a love almost idolatrous he spared neither money nor pains to procure for him everything necessary for his favourite pursuit almost the entire day did louis pass in what he termed maud's library where poring over books or busy with his pencil he whiled the hours away without a sigh for the green fields and shadowy woods through which he could never hope to ramble and maud was very proud of her artist brother proud of the beautiful boy whose face seemed not to be of earth so calm so angel-like was its expression all the softer gentler virtues of the mother and all the intellectual qualities of the father were blended together in the child who presented a combination of goodness talent beauty and deformity such as this is seldom seen for his sister maud louis possessed a deep undying love which neither time nor misfortune could in any way abate she was part and portion of himself his life his light his all in all and to his childlike imagination a pure nobler being had never been created than his darling sister maud and well might louis kennedy love the self-sacrificing girl who devoted herself so wholly to him and who well fulfilled her mother's charge care for my little boy nelly too was well beloved but he soon grew weary of her company for she seldom talked of anything save herself and the compliments which were given to her youthful beauty and nelly at the age of eighteen was beautiful if that can be called beauty which is void of heart or soul or intellect she was very small and the profusion of golden curls which fell about her neck and shoulders gave her the appearance of being younger than she really was her features were almost painfully regular her complexion dazzlingly brilliant while her large blue eyes had in them a dreamy languid expression exceedingly attractive to those who looked for nothing beyond no inner chamber where dwell the graces which make a woman what she ought to be louis's artist eye undeveloped though it was acknowledged the rare loveliness of nelly's face she would make a beautiful picture he thought but for the noble the good the pure he turned to the dark-eyed maud who was as wholly unlike her stepsister as it was possible for her to be the one was a delicate blonde the other a decided brunette with hair and eyes of deepest black her complexion too was dark but tinged with a beautiful red which nelly would gladly have transferred to her own paler cheek it was around the mouth however the exquisitely shaped mouth and white even teeth that maud's principal beauty lay and the bright smile which lit up her features when at all animated in conversation would have made a plain face handsome there were some who gave her the preference saying there was far more beauty in her clear beautiful eyes and sunny smile than in the dollish face of nelly who treated such remarks with the utmost scorn she knew that she was beautiful she had known it all her life for had she not been told so by her mirror her father her schoolmates her aunt kelsey and more than all by j c de vere the elegant young man whom she had met in rochester where she had spent the winter preceding the summer of which we are writing and which was four and one-half years after mattie's death greatly had the young lady murmured on her return against the dreary old house and lonely life at laurel hill which did indeed present a striking contrast to the city gaieties in which she had been mingling even the cosy little chamber which the kind-hearted maud had fitted up for her with her own means was pronounced heathenish and old-fashioned while maud herself was constantly taunted with being countryfied and odd 
i wish j c de vere could see you now she said one morning to her sister who had donned her working-dress and with sleeves rolled up and wide-checked apron tied around her waist was deep in the mysteries of bread-making i wish he could see her too said louis who had rolled his chair into the kitchen so that he could be with maud he would say he never saw a handsomer colour than the red upon her cheeks pshaw returned nelly i guess he knows the difference between rose tint and sunburn why he's the most fastidious man i ever saw he can't endure the smell of cooking and says he would never look twice at a lady whose hands were not as soft and white as well as mine and she glanced admiringly at her little snowy fingers which were beating a tune upon the window-sill i want no better proof that he's a fool muttered old hannah who looked upon nelly as being what she really was a vain silly thing a fool hannah retorted nelly i'd like to have aunt kelsey hear you say that why he's the very best match in rochester all the girls are dying for him but he don't care a straw for one of them he's out of health now and is coming here this summer with aunt kelsey and then you'll see how perfectly refined he is by the way maud if i had as much money at my command as you have i'd fix up the parlour a little you know father won't and that carpet i'll venture to say was in the ark i almost dread to have j c come he's so particular but then he knows we are rich and beside that aunt kelsey has told him just how stingy father is so i don't care so much did i tell you j c has a cousin james who may possibly come too i never saw him but aunt kelsey says he's the queerest man that ever lived he never was known to pay the slightest attention to a woman unless she was married or engaged he has a most delightful house at hampton where he lives with his mother but he'll never marry unless it is some hired girl who knows how to work why he was once heard to say he would sooner marry a good-natured irish girl than a fashionable city lady who knew nothing but to dress and flirt and play the piano the wretch oh i know i should like him exclaimed louis who had been an attentive listener i dare say you would and maud too returned nelly adding after a moment and i shouldn't wonder if maud just suited him particularly if he finds her up to her elbows in dough so maud it is for your interest to improve the old castle a little won't you buy a new carpet and she drew nearer to maud who made no direct reply the three hundred and fifty dollars interest money which she had received the year before had but little of it been expended on herself though it had purchased many a comfort for the household for maud was generous and freely gave what was her own to give the parlour carpet troubled even her but she would not pledge herself to buy another until she had first tried her powers of persuasion upon the doctor who as she expected refused outright he knew the carpet was faded he said but was hardly worn at all and twas a maxim of his to make things last as long as possible it was in vain that nelly who was present quoted aunt kelsey and j c de vere the old doctor didn't care a straw for either unless indeed j c should sometime take nelly off his hands and pay her bills which were altogether too large for one of his maxims that this would probably be the result of the young man's expected visit had been strongly hinted by mrs kelsey and thus was he more willing to have him come but on the subject of the carpet he was inexorable and with tears of anger in her large blue eyes nelly gave up the contest while maud very quietly walked over to the store and gave orders that a handsome three-ply carpet which she had heard her sister admire should be sent home as soon as possible you are a dear good girl after all and i hope james de vere will fall in love with you 
was nelly's exclamation as she saw a large roll deposited at their door but not a stitch in the making of the carpet did she volunteer to take she should prick her fingers or callous her hand she said and mr de vere thought so much of a pretty hand nonsense said john who was still a member of the family nonsense miss nelly i'd give a heap more for one of miss maud's little fingers red and rough as they be then i would for both them soft sickish feeling hands of yourn and john hastily disappeared from the room to escape the angry words which he knew would follow his bold remark nelly was not a favourite at home and no one humoured her as much as maud who on this occasion almost outdid herself in her endeavours to please the exacting girl and make the house as presentable as possible to the fashionable mrs kelsey and the still more fashionable j c de vere the new carpet was nicely fitted to the floor new curtains hung before the windows the old sofa was recovered the piano was tuned a hat-stand purchased for the hall the spare chamber cleaned and then very impatiently nelly waited for the day when her guests were expected to arrive the time came at last a clear june afternoon and immediately after dinner nelly repaired to her chamber so as to have ample time to try the effect of her different dresses ere deciding upon any one maud too was a good deal excited for one of her even temperament she rather dreaded mrs kelsey whom she had seen but twice in her life but for some reason wholly inexplicable to herself she felt a strange interest in the wonderful j c of whom she had heard so much not that he would notice her in the least but a man who could turn the heads of all the girls in rochester must be somewhat above the common order of mortals and when at last her work was done and she too went up to dress it was with an unusual degree of earnestness that she asked her sister what she should wear that would be becoming wear what you please but don't bother me answered nelly smoothing down the folds of her light blue muslin which harmonized admirably with her clear complexion maud called louis from the adjoining room wear white you always look pretty in white so does every black person answered nelly feeling provoked that she had not advised the wearing of some colour not as becoming to maud as she knew white to be maud had the utmost confidence in louis's taste and when fifteen minutes later she stood before the mirror her short glossy curls clustering about her head a bright bloom on her cheek and a brighter smile on her lip she thought it was the dress which made her look so well for it had never entered her mind that she was handsome wear your coral earrings said louis who had wheeled himself into the room and was watching her with all a fond brother's pride the earrings were a decided improvement and the jealous nelly when she saw how neat and tasteful was her sister's dress began to cry saying she herself looked fright that she'd nothing fit to wear and if her father did not buy her something she'd run away this last was her usual threat when at all indignant and as after giving vent to it she generally felt better she soon dried her tears saying she was glad anyway that she had blue eyes for j c could not endure black ones maybe james can was the quick rejoinder of louis who always defended maud from nelly's envious attacks by this time the clock was striking five half an hour more and they would be there and going through the rooms below nelly looked to see if everything was in order then returning to her chamber above she waited impatiently until the sound of wheels was heard in the distance a cloud of dust was visible next and soon a large travelling carriage stopped at the gate laden with trunks and boxes as if its occupants had come to spend the remainder of the summer a straight slender dandified-looking young man sprang out followed by another far different in style though equally as fine-looking 
the lady next alighted and scarcely were her feet upon the ground when she was caught around the neck by a little fairy figure in blue which had tripped gracefully down the walk seemingly unconscious but really very conscious of every step she took for the black-moustached young man who touched his hat to her so politely was particular about a woman's gait a little apart from the rest stood the stranger casually eyeing the diminutive creature of whose beauty and perfections he had heard so much both from her partial aunt and his half-smitten cousin there was a momentary thrill a feeling such as one experiences in gazing upon a rare piece of sculpture and then the heart of james de vere resumed its accustomed beat for he knew the inner chamber of the mind was empty and henceforth nelly's beauty would have no attraction for him very prettily she led the way to the house and after ushering her guests into the parlour ran upstairs to maud bidding her to order supper at once and telling her as a piece of important news which she did not already know that aunt kelsey james and j c had come End of chapters six and seven